Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trusetta from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. And I'm Peter Bagshaw, uh, also from uh, Mental Health Lead at Somerset Commissioning Group and uh, a GP. And today we're talking about surviving a mental health crisis, and we're really pleased to welcome along uh, Cher Hallett and Meg War from the crisis team in, in Holly Court in Yeovil. Could you please introduce yourselves? Cher, if you'd like to go first. So hi, my name's Cher. I'm a registered mental health nurse and yep, currently working for Home Treatment Team, supporting Yeovil and South Somerset area. Great, thank you very much. Hi, uh, yeah, my name's my name's Meg and I also work for the Yeovil Home Treatment Team in the same role as Cher. I'm also a registered mental health nurse. That's great. Sort of quick question: What what took you into mental health nursing? What why did why did you join, and what what interests you particularly about it, and and particularly why are you doing what you're doing at the moment? Well, for myself, I definitely have a family history of mental illness, and I was fascinated when I found out that I could be a nurse, but specifically for people with mental health issues. And when I saw that degree, I just knew it was what I wanted to do, and I've kind of run with it ever since. Really, great. Thank you. Share is there anything you'd add to that at all? Yeah, and in a similar sort of way, really. I, I think you know sometimes um, you know mental health nursing isn't something that you sort of thumb through the university perspectives and think, oh, we'll, we'll give that a crack. You know, actually, for most of us, we've have experience um, of our own mental health issues and contact with services, and I guess wanting to sort of be able to give back and and support others in, in ways in which we have been supported. That's really great to hear. And you're both working in the, the home treatment team. And so I would imagine quite a lot of your bread and butter, quite a lot of the regular things that you see are people who are in some sort of mental health crisis. Exactly right. Yeah. Our, our team focuses on people who really have come to that crisis point and are perhaps at risk of a hospital admission or are at risk of ending their lives or acting in ways that really put themselves or others at risk and, and that's what we do on a daily basis. We'll come to that in, in a few moments if we may but how is how is the mental health of the team at the moment because here we are part way through winter part way through Covid in probably the most challenging times that many of us working in the NHS have have ever been. How are we all? What's our check-in for ourselves and and do you have any hints and tips and mechanisms you know because we all feel them um, times of challenge. I think that's that's really right actually and and I think it's us being really um, uh, understanding about that, particularly at this sort of current climate, obviously with with COVID nineteen and the impact of that. But generally, you know, this is January. It's a particularly difficult, known to be quite difficult time of, of the year for some people. In particular, you know, just because we work in mental health doesn't mean that we perhaps have uh, are, are not sort of predisposed to experiencing that ourselves and it's really important that we take care of ourselves to be able to continue to fulfill the role to our local communities. And in answer to your question on how the team's mental health is at the moment we are very lucky that we do have an incredibly supportive team and an incredibly supportive manager and we do really work hard to boost each other on a daily basis and yeah thank you to the team because we are grateful for each other's support always. 
So coming on to mental health crisis, I think most of us are familiar with a, a physical health crisis, but maybe not so much a mental health one. How do people identify when they're in a crisis and why, why is it helpful? I think it's really important that, that we are able to get to a place where we can identify where we might be at risk of getting into a mental health crisis, because in doing so, we're able to perhaps decrease the severity um, that that crisis may have for us. Um, it, it's it's also understanding that it can, it can be a different experience for different people. And it might not be that we ourselves notice that we're in a crisis. It might be that the people around us notice it first off and are able to tell us what it's like for them and what we are like in those moments. And really drawing upon the views of others during a crisis is really helpful because we might not realise it ourselves. So um, thinking about, you know, we all have thoughts every moment of the day and some of those are neutral thoughts and some of them are positive and some of them, you know, most of us have the odd negative thoughts, sometimes quite a few. How would we know that things were escalating towards a problem? Well, we, we speak about a cycle of despair when it comes to a negative thought cycle. And if you're noticing or we notice that our thoughts are consistently being negative over a period of time that's a really big warning sign that we are heading towards a crisis and that would be the time to start to implement some of the coping strategies which we are going to go on to and importantly in those times we may experience a feeling that life isn't worth living um, and again that's when we know that something is very much wrong. Um, presumably what you're describing there is somebody who's uh, getting depression that's uh, worsening. But there are other mental health crises as well, aren't they, with schizophrenia and, and things like that. Uh, what will the signs be of, of that? I think for, it would be different for everyone. And I think that's why we're so passionate about the topic that we're talking about today in, in regards to sort of safety planning. Um, we can think about what those early warning signs might be for somebody um, and, it, and it could be as, as simple as having a, a few days where perhaps we're experiencing interrupted sleep, perhaps an increase in, in feeling irritable, uh, a, a change perhaps in our in our outlook on on life, um, just to sort of name name a few things. And and who would be the first person to notice this change? Uh, is it oh, is it something that we as as people are very good at noticing about ourselves that the way we're moving towards crisis? Or have you got any comments on that? The, the truth is is that we are definitely not the best at being able to identify when we are moving towards a crisis and. When we are caught up in a crisis, we don't necessarily think, "Oh, I, I'm in a crisis now." We think life isn't good, life isn't worth living, my, there's things in my life that I'd really, really like to change. So in answer to your question, it would likely be other people that would notice that. Thank you. So having, having heard that, which is really useful, how can we learn ourselves to notice when we might be moving towards a, a crisis? So I think something that's really, really important is to be able to to start building um, some understanding of perhaps our vulnerabilities. So I know that uh, Meg and I sometimes will will discuss maybe on a personal note that we know the impact of working a 24-hour service 
So we are, are quickly moving shifts between nights and days. And we both know that that can impact on our mental health, you know, having to switch between the two. So we know that at those points, we do really need to take care of ourselves. Um, and it, that's, you know, goes without saying in this current climate that we're in, where we might be having to um, cover additional shifts to support services at, at this moment. Yeah, so those, those vulnerabilities uh, are something to take note of so that you can learn the next time that maybe if you were to work your night shifts or maybe use drugs or alcohol or whatever your vulnerabilities may be, that that may point towards a crisis. So it's about taking a moment to notice when there's tension within yourself and what's happening in your life what vulnerability factors you've got at that time and really using that to get to know yourself, which unfortunately means that you do have to go through different periods of crisis to get to know yourself a bit better and come up with that plan and that recognition. That's really helpful. And just sort of thinking about the positive sides of a crisis, because every experience in life is an experience that we have and we can learn from. What sort of things can we learn through crisis and what what skills and strengths can we learn to help help us and just really leading on from what meg was saying is is that actually we can learn to build resilience um those adversities that we experience in life is how we build that strength to to be able to cope um there's there's a really great quote that i really sort of adhere to really and it says um a smooth sea never makes a skilled sailor and i sort of use that in a context of perhaps nursing you know as a, a, you know, a smooth shift isn't going to um, develop my clinical skills as, an, as a nurse. You know, we need those adverse times um, to really build that, that inner strength to, to manage. A, a quote I like is that it's from our enemies, not our friends, that we learn to build high walls. Uh, so, yes, if, if things are difficult, it can make us stronger. A phrase um, I've heard somewhere is distress tolerance. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so distress tolerance really becomes our bread and butter here in the home treatment team because the important message that we share is that when you're at crisis point, it's not about resolving your lifelong problems or really even necessarily going into the deep-rooted psychological problems that you, you may need years of work to resolve. We focus on distress tolerance, which are skills that equip you to just tolerate the moment, be able to get through, to bear the unbearable. And we use those skills in our daily practice or when people may phone into us to just make sure that they're going away with something that they're able to use. And with lower level emotional distress, we, we often use the phrase that it's okay to not be okay. So I'm interested that... that people in mental health crisis can use those same skills. Absolutely, yeah. Are there any other things that people can do? Um, and just sort of to add sort of where Meg was about the distress tolerance is the importance of practising outside of crisis time so that they become familiar um, for us to use um, so that we can be more well-equipped to, to be able to um, uh, use those distress tolerance techniques and strategies. So one of the things that we've talked about in some previous podcasts, and perhaps we can just do it, listeners, if you're driving a car or using machinery at the moment, please just listen, but don't engage. But otherwise, um, we may wish to just put our feet flat on the floor to be comfortable and take three slow, regular, rhythmic breaths. 
using our diaphragms, using our tummies and allow our chest to rise and fall. And if we do three of those, is that a technique that you ever use for, for people in low-level crisis or, or are we talking about much more serious things that, that need much more intervention? That is absolutely a technique that we would use um, to just really draw people back into the moment and we would use that as a grounding exercise. And and as with any skill, it sounds so simple, like you say, it's kind of low-level stuff, but if you practice these skills, especially at times when you're not in crisis, they become second nature so that when you are in crisis, you are able to adopt them because you're so used to using them. So a really important message is to practice, 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 even on your good days, even if you're doing a podcast with your colleagues like we have today, because when it gets to that point, then you've got that in your toolbox to draw upon. So, yeah, we do definitely recommend those kinds of exercises. That's a really helpful thing to know because I think a lot of people just get on with life when they're not in crisis and only take these things out when they need to. But what you're saying is that it's like any anything else. The more you practice it, you, the better you get at it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I find myself sometimes a little bit of a salesman to my colleagues and to, to, to my medical colleagues. I try and sell the concept of inner stillness. Uh, and maybe with those few breaths, what we're doing is we're making a deposit into the bank of, of inner calm, of, of inner stillness, and that helps us uh, in the day. I think that's a really important point, particularly with the, the current climate we're in. You know, we're having these news briefings from government every single day, and it's really can be quite difficult to remain grounded in in the moment. It, it's incredibly um, lots of uncertainty going around at the moment. And I think that's a really good point, actually, Andrew. So uh, you're quite right, Cher, that there is a lot of news. And I think a lot of this news evokes fear in some of us at times. And when we're frightened, we feel unsafe. So I would imagine that people who are, feel who are in crisis are actually feeling unsafe. How, how do you address that? How do you help that? And are there any models that would help us with that? I think that something that you've spoken a lot about on the podcast is the physiological response that our body has when we are stimulated in that way. Uh, people might know that is fight, flight, freeze. Um, and and we, we kind of thought that the many other podcasts have spoken a lot about that. And, and Meg and I thought that we would perhaps talk about wise mind, um, which is a concept where it recognizes where we have an emotional mindset and perhaps a rational mindset. And if you think of a Venn diagram, we're looking for that sweet little spot just in the middle where we've got a little bit of rational mind and a little bit of emotional mind to be able to make those safe decisions, particularly when it comes to keeping ourselves safe and grounded in the moment. Thank you. That's very helpful. And obviously, the crisis management doesn't help us resolve long-standing problems, but um, you're helping people develop those distress-tolerant skills in the now. And as we were just saying, um, keep self-regulating, keep practicing, keep doing. And, and do you find that connection with people to talk to them for a few moments is important? Or is it is it okay to just say, well, this is what you do and then put the phone down? Or do you find yourself talking on the phone for rather longer and helping people um, regulate? It, it completely depends because when we are in a crisis, it might not be that we're 
as easily open to accepting those that kind of support and practical advice and even get into a point where you're able to practice those skills can take some time. So if someone's particularly di- distressed and not really open to that, it might take a bit longer on the phone. Other times we do have people phoning and yeah, it can just be a few minutes. So some, sometimes it's important as, as well that sometimes people want to be able to pick up the phone and just feel that somebody, there's a human connection, somebody's there on the other side, and you, you know, they're not alone. Um, we, you know, people are there and that they are important to us is really important. And you've made the important point that everyone is different. Uh, so there's not a one size fits all approach, I imagine, that some people need stimulating if they're feeling down, other people need calming. Is is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, we're going to explore this hopefully a bit in regards to the safety plan that we speak about, because every crisis point, even for just one person, may feel different. So, yeah, if they're feeling low, they may need a different approach to when they're feeling particularly stimulated. So, yeah, absolutely right. So people may have heard the term safety plan. Can you tell us a bit what it what it involves? So there, there are two real sort of elements to a safety plan. There, there are the short-term management um, issues that we can address for the imminency, the immediate aspects that we need to support somebody to keep safe. But then there's also the longer term approaches to a safety plan. So for that, I mean, it could be that we recognise perhaps that um, some maladaptive coping strategies that we've used to keep safe, such as drug and alcohol use, perhaps need some more specialist support uh, on over a longer term process with specialist services such as Somerset Drug and Alcohol. And, and a safety plan really is about having a document, a piece of paper, something on our phone that we can refer to quickly in those times of distress and it's about making it ahead of time so not waiting until we're distressed to come up with some ideas of what's going to help us in that moment but when we're in a good place thinking ahead of time what may be helpful so that we can quickly refer to it and quickly implement the strategies that are on there. That's really interesting so it's not something done by professionals for professionals it's something that's a a document that the person coming into crisis can refer to and find help from is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. And also professionals can refer to it and friends and family and carers, but it's really about the individual person making it for themselves. So where would people find a safety plan on the web to be able to make up, uh, you know, maybe with your support if I was speaking to you in crisis? There are some really excellent um, uh, apps and things that we can have now just to download onto our phone. So it's really accessible um, one in particular that I think we'd like to have a link attached to this podcast is a Staying Alive app, um, which is recommended by Mind Charity, uh, National Mental Health Charity, in that where we can record all of this really important information. And, and Meg's really right about touching on it's important that we create these plans when we're in a much more positive uh, mindset to be able to, to do this. It's It's what do I want to remind myself of in those moments of despair and distress? Presumably it would also include uh, telephone numbers, links to organisations that can help, like the Samaritans or Mindline, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Would it be helpful for us to maybe go through a safety plan and some ideas of what we'd expect to be on a safety plan? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, lovely. So, 
I guess first off, we'd be thinking about reasons for living. Uh, and when we say reasons for living, we're thinking profession- in professional terms, our protective factors, whether that be family, loved ones, pets, goals and dreams that we have for the future that we'd really like to achieve, things we enjoy doing. These can be big things, but also small things like having a cup of tea, thinking really would I never want to have a cup of tea again, Uh, reminding us of the good things in our lives, really. Uh, And also our own personal qualities that give us that drive. So wanting to get better, maybe we have a great sense of humour, just those simple things to remind ourselves of. And in making sure that we have a safe environment around us at times when we are distressed or we feel that we are at risk of acting on perhaps thoughts um, of a suicidal nature. So that would be making sure that we don't have access to means to harm ourselves. It might be that we need support from those around us to perhaps make that environment safe and really important to, to reach out. A longer term part of that plan, it might be that we need to speak to perhaps our GP Um, Do we need to make sure that we have limited access perhaps to our medications and things? What could be the longer term plan to keep ourselves safe? And it's recognising that it's not uh, a forever um, intervention, that it's just recognising that we're in a vulnerable place at the moment and we need to make those necessary measures to keep ourselves safe. And a safe environment would also look like a place that's free of any triggers that we might have. So maybe particular photos of lost loved ones that might trigger us in that moment. And making the environment a nice place to be is really important as well. Um, We spoke briefly about how our crisis will always look different. And this is why it's important to have different strategies for different types of crisis. So if you're feeling low, this will perhaps require a different intervention to if you're feeling anxious. So having a section on there for each of those mood states would be great so if we think in terms of activities to lift our mood we could practice some gratitude which is scientifically proven to be helpful in the longer term and it is really important to practice this strategy on a daily basis for it to be more effective but there's no reason why it can't be on our safety plan to use in those moments of crisis so being grateful for what we do have in our lives Uh, perhaps maybe some endorphin release and exercise as well. And for calming activities, uh, Cher, do you have any? Um, So, and just thinking about some distraction techniques, again, it's really important. It's trying to break that cycle, as Meg mentioned about despair, break that cycle of circular thinking. And a distraction technique is able to offer us that Um, respite from that thought pattern and they can be uh, anything thinking about um, um, engaging our five senses some people might put together self-soothe boxes again we'll put a little link on about how we can uh, look to give people information about creating their own self-soothe boxes Um, and again it's like with anything practice makes perfect with these things it's about uh, using them outside of our crisis points yes Peter and Something we've discussed in previous podcasts is that a lot of people are afraid to mention the word suicide, but this is presumably something that you have to address in in some safety plans quite explicitly. Is that right? Yeah, our goal is to be as open and honest about suicide because it really is a matter of life and death. It's it's not something to be taken lightly when we're talking about mental health crisis. And I know we've seen a rise in the amounts of suicide nationwide since 
COVID-19 has begun. So it's really, really important to break that taboo and just talk about it really openly because somebody might have it in the back of their minds and in their thoughts and we just don't bring it up. And that in itself is, is really hard to think about. And I heard it said that if somebody is in suicidal crisis, actually they can be helped. Um, there's a myth that, you know, if people have thought of it, well, of course, they're going to, to, to manage to complete a suicide. And there's another myth that, uh, that, that sometimes that talking about it may provoke that or encourage it. Are, th are, those, are those true or is it really important to talk about it and to help talk people down at a time of crisis? Absolutely. I think it's joining people in, in that sort of despair and, and being able to let somebody talk about um, something that perhaps they've they've not felt able to. Sometimes suicidal thoughts that there can be quite a lot of shame attached to that. It's we, we are all um, able to experience feelings of, of not wanting to be here. And it's really important that we break those myths, really, and that we feel safe to be able to talk to that about people and looking at ways in which we can keep safe. Uh, also, when it comes to suicidal thoughts, they aren't a lifelong thing. They aren't even a week-long thing. The time frame that we have them varies so much, and it just takes one moment of interruption to break that cycle of suicidal thinking. So if, if in doubt, bring it up. If in doubt, ask, are you okay? Because it just takes that small little interruption to break that cycle and break that path that somebody might be going down. I think you've raised a really important point, Megan, and it's something that I see in patients that if they're in crisis, very often it feels as though there's no way out, things are completely hopeless, they can't see a way through. But of course, people do come through crisis and, and do emerge stronger and, and can live very happy lives afterwards. So it's important to be positive about it as well, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So also on the safety plan, you might have professional support and emergency contacts. Do you want to mention any sort of things that might be there? Yeah, and, and it's really important with the safety plan why we need to have things written down into hand, because when we are in that emotionally charged and feeling very overwhelmed state of mind, it can be very hard for us to, to think, oh, where did I put that number? Where was that when I needed it? So it's really important. That's why it's all together. So those contacts... Um, depending on, on where you are in your safety plan it might be about getting in touch with family and friends your support network reaching out to somebody letting them know that you're feeling a, a risk to yourself and you're needing some further support and intervention it could be getting in touch with the gp samaritans um, we've got mindline locally in somerset which has been a really great introduction um, at, the, at the beginning of covid which has now gone 24 7 and which whose phone number is 01823 276 892. We'll just get that in every, every episode. <laughs> and if you are already under a secondary mental health service, then please do get in touch with them when you begin to struggle. Uh, and obviously, we, we just have to say that if you are immediate risk to yourself or others, then it would always need to be emergency services because we don't have a mental health emergency service at the moment. So that would be 999 or 111 or GP or even the emergency department of hospital? Yeah, if it, if it came to it and it was, a, it was a case of keeping yourself safe by going to the emergency department, then that's where it would need to be. 
but uh, but those emergency numbers and of course the other telephone number which is very valuable um uh, which is 116111123116123 which is the samaritans who are a, a fantastic voluntary organization who parallel some of the work the great work that you do and i'd really like to add is for some people they might need to put uh, where they've got their numbers that actually they they give themselves permission to make contact. So for some people, when they find themselves in such a distressed state, they might feel not worthy of reaching out for support and help, or they might not feel that their crisis uh, warrants any support. So sometimes, or some people that we've worked with, it's really making sure it's in black and white, phone in, let somebody know this is really important. Make, make that personal commitment to keeping yourself safe. I think this has been a, a hugely instructive and interesting uh, topic, and, and it's quite a difficult one. Are there any take-home messages that you'd like to leave people with? And for me, it would be that crisis is something that you can come through, you will come through it stronger, and that there are techniques to get you through. Is there anything you would want to leave people with? For me, it would be that you're you're never alone. You're never alone. There's always somebody out there to help you. Yeah, and I think you're right. We've it's a, a huge topic, and I think we've tried to touch on important notes. But my takeaway really is that you are important, and you do matter. Absolutely, and of course, sometimes if people are in crisis, they can't see that, can they? Absolutely. But using the, the safety plan that they've got to remind themselves of things that maybe they've lost sight of in, in crisis can be life-saving, can't it? Definitely. And, and also ensuring that we share that with our support network, our family, our friends, our work colleagues. Because, again, as we've said, it might be we don't recognise when we're sort of tipping into that vulnerable spot. But also that it, it can also be helpful for our support network to know how best to support us. Yeah, so really equip those around you, equip those around you to be able to support you. Perhaps we all need a safety plan, really, because we all need things to help us when we, we can all have difficult times. Absolutely. This is our key message. Everyone, everyone could do a safety plan, not just those who have experienced suicidal thoughts before or regularly experienced mental health crisis really is for everyone. Yeah. And these are skills that are going to help us throughout the lifetime. It's not just about getting us out of the, the spot that we're in at the moment. These are skills that are going to support us throughout our lifetimes to keep safe and to manage um, the distress that sometimes life can throw up for us. And knowing that this will pass, this too will pass, and better times are, are, are there ahead. And the uh, from the Somerset Recovery College, that's a very nice booklet they do on dealing with difficult, with uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. This the 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 weather is not the sky. We may be going through difficult weather, but there's always a blue sky above. And that's a really good plug there with Recovery College because that would be the longer part of the, the safety plan is engaging in some of those psychological interventions to perhaps help us have a better understanding about, um, you know, how we manage those negative automatic thoughts. So we'll put the links uh, up with this podcast and of course people can contact us directly if they want more information. But the, I found that a, a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much to both of you for coming. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cher. Thank you very much, Megan. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time. 
You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. 